Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Hey, everybody out there in TV land. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good night depending on where you are in the world. Hey, I thought I'd do this quick live stream for today's podcast intro. What episode is this? I think this is episode 1595, almost at episode 1600. So today our guest will be none other than the returning guest who's been on the show many times, the anarcho-capitalist, the international man, do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> you may not. You may. Maybe you do. When I said international man, when I said anarcho-capitalist, did that ring a bell? Did that make you know who I was talking about? This guy's been on the show many, many times, always has some interesting insights. We will play part one of his episode with me recorded just, I think just last week we recorded this one. And uh, we'll play part one today and part two tomorrow. If you're watching on the live stream, you will not get our guest because you're just getting this quickie intro. I thought I'd just do it here. You know, sometimes I do that spontaneous. You gotta be spontaneous, you know, just add a little variety to life, right? Right. Okay, so that guest, if you did not guess who he was, it is Doug Casey. And I thought this was an interesting quote because it really makes you think, doesn't it? Does this make you think? So it makes you think. And this is a quote that makes you think. You know, I always talk about how you can't hear the dogs that don't bark, right? You can't hear the dogs that don't bark. We don't know what is unseen. There is a profound impact of things unseen, a profound impact of things that did not happen. What is that impact? Well, here, this quote speaks to that, doesn't it? Doug Casey, our guest today, he says, the thought of how far the human race would have advanced without government simply staggers the imagination. That's interesting. See, most people think that without government, the end of the world would occur. Without government, we would have absolute chaos, anarchy. Doug is an anarcho-capitalist. And listen, just so you know where I stand, I do not go this far, <laughs> okay? I think the government has its place, but its place is dramatically smaller than what we have. What we have is absolute, overwhelming, central planning, dictator's paradise. <laughs> what, what do I mean? Because all these folks that get into government are these little totalitarian dictators, right? If, they, uh, if we didn't have a constitution limiting the government's powers, 
who knows what kind of disaster we would see, right? That's why the Constitution of the United States of America is such a, an incredible document. It literally gives me, as one ex-girlfriend said, it gives me boost gumps. Boost gumps. Yeah, goosebumps. <laughs> because uh, it is amazing how that document has just revolutionized the entire human race it changed the world forever. Back in you know 1776 to 1789, when that was developing, and it's certainly developed since then, we have more amendments, but really that 10, that first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, an amazing document. The only the second document in the history of the human race that actually limited power of government and increased the power of the person. You know what I always say. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. Think about that one. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. You know, there's only a certain amount of space in the context, right? Either most space is taken up by the government in this space context that we have, or most is taken up by the citizen. And the U.S. was really the only second example in human history, the first being, you know what I'm going to say, the first was the Magna Carta. That was the first document ever that really limited the power of government. But the second one that greatly limited it was the United States Constitution. Because most founding documents of most countries, think about it, or at least until then, of course, that revolutionized the world. And thankfully, this idea caught on, right? It became popular around the world. Most documents before that told you all about what the government gets to do right? But the U.S. Constitution says, this is what the government doesn't get to do. They don't get to restrict our speech. They don't get to search our home and our personal effects. They don't get to make us incriminate ourselves. They don't get to do this, that, and the other thing. They don't get to take away our, our guns. They don't get to do all these things. That's amazing. Like that gives me boost gumps. Does it give you boost gumps? It should. Boost gumps. Yeah, it's a real thing. That's the beauty of the Constitution. So Doug, Doug goes further to the spectrum than I do, but you know, he's a super insightful guy and uh, really, really smart. But you know, nobody thinks about this. Nobody thinks about what might have happened if the government were smaller. So I was watching, and I haven't finished it yet. You know, I've watched it so many times, and it's worth watching so many times because it's so brilliant. But I think the most brilliant director, movie director of all times, was Stanley Kubrick. Do you agree with me? Make a comment if you like Stanley Kubrick and his movies. Make a comment if you like the U.S. Constitution. Make a comment if you like rights. <laughs> if you like having rights, I bet you do. I bet you like having more rights than the government has, right? Uh, that's a good thing for uh, humanity. So Stanley Kubrick's brilliant movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, incredible. And you know, that movie, I think, when what year was that movie released? Like 1968 or 1965 or something like that? That movie was a prediction of what the world would be like in 2001. Well, obviously, 2001 was now 19 years ago. And do you know why? we didn't advance as much as, as was forecast or predicted in that movie by Stanley Kubrick 
Well, yeah, Christopher Nolan, DK deals. I see your comment. Christopher Nolan's pretty great too. No question about it. Hey, there's a lot of great directors, but I, um, you watch Dr. Strangelove and 2001 and you think Stanley Kubrick, man, that guy was pretty awesome. Only the good die young, as Billy Joel said, and uh, he was one of the brilliant ones. There's a lot of other brilliant people that have left us too soon, sadly. But, you know, think about it. Why didn't we make it to Mars by now? Why didn't we have more missions to the moon? Why don't we have space tourism? Why don't we have all sorts of, you know, incredibly brilliant space stations orbiting the Earth and orbiting other planets, right? Why don't we have all this? Well, I would argue, I would submit to you that one of the reasons we don't have all this is because of big government. We certainly have the technology. We had it back in the 60s. In 1969, when we put people on the moon, that was an era when we thought we could do incredible things and we did do incredible things. But guess what happened? In the 70s, you know, we got all mucked up in these stupid wars that thankfully Trump kept us out of these wars. You know, if Joe Biden is elected, where do you think he'll start a war first? Make a comment below and tell me, where do you think Joe Biden's first war will be? Because we know Democrats love wars. Hey, listen, Republicans like them too, but not as much as Democrats. Democrats really like them. They're more in with the military industrial complex, contrary to popular belief. Because remember, the bigger the government, the more you can control, the more you can spend, the more you can take away what humanity might have achieved if government got out of the way. If government got out of the way, you know, that's that's the thing. So that's an interesting quote by Doug. You know, what could we have achieved if it wasn't for government? If government would have gotten out of the way? You never, you'll never know. You'll never know the answer to that question. It's impossible to know. But certainly, you look at Kubrick, you look at, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, you look at Isaac Asimov, you look at Ray Bradbury, you look at all these people that were talking about the future way back when, right? Buckminster Fuller would be another one. And they were predicting we would have done amazing things by now. And guess what we got instead? We got a welfare state. We got a bunch of dumbed down people. We got an education system that brainwashes people, that makes people think our country is evil and, you know, we don't deserve our success and all this kind of stupid silliness. We got school lunch program. We got Obamacare. Instead of exploring the stars and achieving incredible things and, you know, being able to fund science and, you know, research and things that would have led to incredible advancements, we got uh, the welfare state. You know, we got a bunch of people who uh, believe in socialism and, uh, you know, all this, all this absolute s- stupidness, right? So that's what we got instead, folks. I don't think the trend's going to reverse, sadly. So we'll get some technological advancement, of course. But, you know, when are we going to actually build something again? When are we going to build another Golden Gate Bridge or another Empire State Building or, you know, something? I mean, like, where did all these great, incredible things go? They just, you can't hear the dogs that don't bark because they, they, the space got sucked up by the central planners and the welfare state. And so that uh, impedes all that great innovation. Okay, so important thing next week, or this week, I should say, on the live stream on Sunday, I'm going to talk about this, the investment strength matrix. Now, this is something that I talked about for the first time 
I think nine years ago at my 2011 Meet the Masters conference in Irvine, California. And let's talk about how different assets perform vis-a-vis inflation, vis-a-vis deflation, and vis-a-vis stagnation. How do these different assets perform? So on Sunday, on Sunday's live stream, that's what we're going to do. You know, one of our uh, one of our viewers said as I was talking about the election and so forth, why can't we talk more about real estate? Okay, next Sunday, that's what we're going to talk about, regardless of who is president next Sunday. <laughs> hey, I was going to change the name on my Facebook profile to um, President-elect Jason Hartman, President-elect. I figured if the AP, uh, you know, the Associated Press can announce our president-elect, I could just decide I'm the president-elect. You know, it's by fiat. It's like fiat money, (laughs) right? We could do it. Okay, so a lot of you have been asking for this. We have a webinar coming up on Thursday that you must sign up for because you're going to want to check this out. We have a local market specialist, a builder in Charlotte, North Carolina, a fantastic market, fantastic market. Yes, we do. Yes, and we're going to have them on a webinar on Thursday. Go to jasonhartman.com slash Charlotte. Great properties there. Incredible properties. You're really going to like them. So check that out. Go to jasonarman.com slash Charlotte and register for this webinar. Brand new construction. Brand new construction, Charlotte, North Carolina. Check it out. jasonarman.com slash Charlotte. Register. It's totally free and uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And also, we've got a little teaching on that webinar. We're not only going to talk about the Charlotte properties, but we're going to talk about some things that are going on in the marketplace that you're going to want to know about, okay? Some just general economics and real estate market news as well. Uh, You know, I forgot to do that on our last webinar when we did uh, one last week on Sweet Home Alabama. By the way, if you missed that one, jasonhartman.com slash sweet home, just like Sweet Home Alabama. New construction in Alabama and Charlotte right now. Really rare to get this stuff, folks. So check it out. Don't miss that. Okay, so Lawrence Yoon, who's been on my podcast before, he is the chief economist for NAR, the National Association of Realtors. And guess what he says? He says, median home prices are rising much too fast. Much too fast. They're going up too fast. Lawrence Yoon says, stop. Stop the presses. The prices are going up too quick. No bueno. Lawrence Yoon says, no bueno. Prices are going up too quick. Well, he might not be wrong about that, folks. Prices are going up really fast. So you want to buy some properties ASAP. A-S-A-P. Get some good properties. And uh, there might be a correction. I don't know. There might be an adjustment. But so what? I don't really care. Because we look at this stuff from a long-term perspective. We buy properties that make sense from day one. And as long as the property makes sense from day one today, right, it's okay. It's all good. Because even if the prices adjust, if they drop a little bit, which I don't really think they will. And if you've been following my work and uh, how I adjust property prices for inflation 
and uh, interest rates, right, and current prices, you'll see that houses are still, even now with these price increases, houses are still cheaper than they were 14 years ago on a principal and interest per month basis, your mortgage payment. Your mortgage payment is cheaper in real dollars than it was 14 years ago. It's cheaper than it was in 1984 when George Orwell, well, not when he wrote the book, because he wrote the book in, I think, 1948. But 1984 is a book you must read. And you must also read Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451. If you did read that stuff in school, you're probably a little older and wiser because certainly they don't recommend that stuff in school anymore because now schools just become a brainwashing institution. Uh, but you must go back and review it because that is the world we are living in. We are living in an Orwellian 1984 world. Anyway, Jason, you're on a tangent. Go back to Lawrence Yoon with NAR. What does he say? Highlighted in red here, he says, in the US, median existing single family home prices rose 12%, 12% year over year to $313,500, NAR said, National Association of Realtors, in 117 metro areas, there were double-digit price gains from one year ago. For added perspective in Q2, the second quarter, only 15 metro areas had double-digit price gains, okay? Wow, 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 wow. And by the way, what can help remedy high home prices? Finding a solution to the inventory crisis, NAR's chief economist, Lawrence Yoon, said. Well, sure, Lawrence, uh, duh, I think we all agree with you that that could solve the problem, but how are we going to do that? How is affordable housing going to be produced when all the ingredients, remember, I teach packaged commodities investing, when all those ingredients have gone up in prices so in price so much? Look right here. I have the newsletter that one of our clients sent me. This is called the Lumber Market Report, the random lengths, in other words, the length of the wood, right? the length of the lumber, the random lengths weekly report. He's in the lumber business. He sent me this newsletter, okay? And he says, uh, framing lumber prices climbed further into record territory as acute supply scarcities remained in effect, okay? He's talking about how Canadian production of lumber, that's what you need to build a house, right? You need lumber was running 15.9% behind, in terms of supply, behind what it was one year ago. And British Columbia, where they also produce a lot of young lumber in BC, beautiful area, by the way, but Canada's gone off the deep end with their socialist disaster and their disastrous Justin Trudeau. Is Justin Trudeau an idiot or what? He is so much wrong about so many things, but. Anyway, that's another story, risk, tangent alert. But BC lumber was down 25.2% year over year. Prices are skyrocketing, folks. So Lawrence Yoon, how are we going to solve this problem? It can't just be solved by fiat just because you say, let's solve the problem. He goes on to say, by the end of Q3, 1.47 million existing homes were available 
for sale, 1.47 million, which is 19.2% lower, lower than the total inventory at the end of Q3 last year. As of September 2020, there were enough homes in inventory to last 2.7 months at the current sales pace. Folks, 2.7 months is like no inventory, okay? It's incredibly constrained, very, very tight. We need to have six months of supply at any given time to have a somewhat balanced market, okay? So inventory is super scarce, super scarce. So that's that. All right, no surprise here, but more people are migrating from New York to Florida. Well, now that I'm a Florida resident for the past two and a half years or so, I agree they're moving here. Yes, they are right here. They're moving right down here to Florida for sure. However, California had the largest uptick in those looking to move out. <laughs> no surprise there either. Moving to move out of the state in the third quarter, according to Redfin. Okay. So yes, people are leaving big government, socialist, central planned, high taxed, high regulation, intrusive, disastrous areas with abandon. They're just abandoning these places because these places are a disaster. And if Joe Biden becomes president, he's going to make it nationwide. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> All we need is a little more socialism to screw everything up, don't we? All right. This article says, and I believe this was in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. I should add my source there. In the third quarter of 2020, nearly 47,000 more Redfin.com users, Redfin, of course, a big website, right, looked to leave New York than move in. So as they were searching the, the website, 47,000 more people were looking to leave New York than to move into New York. Okay, so that's an incredible imbalance, right? New York's loss is Florida's gain. That's true. Redfin economist Taylor Marr said in a report, quote, when the pandemic hit the U.S. in March, remote workers started leaving New York City and its ultra-expensive housing in search of wide open spaces, sunshine, you know, Florida is called the sunshine state. It says it right on my license plate, okay, <laughs> of my car. Well, actually, my license plate doesn't say that because I bought one of those plates that was like a specialty plate. I mean, it's not a specialty. It doesn't have my name on it or anything, but it's a, uh, you know, like you can buy Save the Whales or you can buy this, that, or the other thing. Anyway, I didn't buy the regular license plate that says the Sunshine State, but I see many others around town. I got a different one because I thought it, well, I thought it looked cooler. And you got to look cool, right, as you're driving around? All right. So um, what's the deal here? So yeah, so they left wide open spaces, sunshine, and affordable homes, all of which you can find in Florida with the bonus of the reason I moved here, no state income tax. That's why I came to Florida. That was the exact reason. No state income tax. Leaving the Socialist Republic of California. I just love living in a state with no state income tax. With the money I save not paying the Socialist Republic of California, it's like I can pay for a yacht every year. 
I could just get an extra yacht. I don't even have one yacht because I owned a yacht before when I lived in Newport Beach. And that was a very expensive bad deal. But I think I might talk myself into another very expensive bad deal because I don't have any state income tax. It's like a wash, right? I can have a yacht, a yacht, but it, you know, when you look at the word, it looks like yacht. Okay. I can have a yacht for free, or I could just pay Gavin Nuisance, the communist governor of California, and not have a yacht <laughs> and just pay him instead, right? So yeah, it's a pretty good deal here. By the way, speaking of which, if you are interested in learning about asset protection, estate planning, and reducing your taxes, yes, if you want to reduce your taxes, you need to have entity structuring. And we have a free webinar on just that subject that you can find right here, jasonhartman.com slash protect. This has been, without a doubt, our most requested and most popular webinar jasonhartman.com slash protect. Go check that out. And be sure you are subscribing to our property cast. It is the most unique podcast in the world. Why is it unique? Because it has no sound. Yep. You're not going to hear me. You're not going to hear anything. You're not going to hear anybody. It's sound free. It is sans sound, like a font that is sans serif, meaning it has no serifs. And this one has no audio, sans audio. <laughs> it's no sound. Well, what do you have then? What you get sent like a podcast, instead of audio or video, you get PDFs sent to you. And those are the performers for our properties, for investment properties with all the numbers. So you can analyze the deal. You get them delivered to you via podcast. Yes, I pioneered this idea, folks. Do not copy me if you are listening competitors, because if you do, you will burn in hell. <laughs> You'll burn in hell. Competitors, if you're listening and you try and copy me, you will burn in hell. I'm just saying, that's what the Lord told me. Okay, so that was my idea. I pioneered it. Everybody said it couldn't be done, but I said it could be done and it has been done. All right. So enough sound effects. <laughs> I'm, I, Jason, I think you're overdoing it on the sound effects and people are going to be annoyed. Okay. Shut up. All right. For those of you listening on the podcast right now, you're going to hear Doug Casey. For those of you just catching this on the live stream on Facebook or YouTube, We'll see you next time. Either way, happy investing. And let's go to Doug Casey. Here he is. And by the way, if you're listening on the live stream, just check out the podcast episode today, and then you'll hear Doug Casey. All right. Happy investing. It's my pleasure to welcome back Doug Casey, a returning guest. He's been on the show many times, and uh, he is the founder of Casey Research, the international man, the author of many books, and uh, a man with a lot of insight. And we want to talk about what to expect after the election. Doug, welcome back. How are you doing? Good, Jason. Nice to talk to you. I'm talking to you right now from Charlottesville, Virginia, which experienced its riots a couple of years ago. It's quiet now. Sure did. You have homes in Aspen, Colorado, and in Argentina as well, right? And Uruguay as well, which is actually quite different from Argentina, even though it's right next door to a small country. Only three and a half million people, mostly soybeans, cattle, and timber. But a nice beachfront, which is a, a jet set hangout during the uh, southern summer. But I just came from Aspen, drove across country, 
listening to NPR. And <laughs> Did you get brainwashed? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you hear something enough times by a reasonable sounding person. And after a while, it starts, it happens, it's happened to all of the United States, the whole country, since the media is totally dominated by leftists. In fact, everything in the U.S. is dominated by leftists. It pretty much seems that way. Big tech is dominated by leftists, Hollywood, book publishing, media. It is like you'd think the whole country is left, but it's not. Clearly, it's not. But the left have the voice, don't they? Yes, they do. And certainly in the uh, little white bread mountain town of Aspen, Colorado, I call it the People's Republic of Aspen, Colorado, where I just drove in from. And, and you've lived there for a long time. When did you buy your ranch in Aspen? Well, I bought this ranch 20 years ago, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm planning on selling it now because Aspen is being inundated by rich people from New York and L.A. and San Francisco and Okay, so what's wrong with that? Most people would say, Doug, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing wrong with it from my point of view as a landowner. The ducks are quacking. I'm going to feed them because these are wealthy people that are moving to Aspen. It's funny. uh, The wealthy people in the People's Republic of Aspen hold all these BLM-friendly views, but apparently they're running away from BLM in their native cities. That's exactly what they're doing. It's like Tim Cook, uh, CEO of Apple, a uh, massive hypocrite that he is. When they opened that Apple meeting right after the George Floyd, inc- George Floyd incident, he decided he had to give us all a lecture on racism, yet he doesn't live anywhere near those type of environments and has probably never come in contact with them in his entire life. He's a complete typical white hypocrite elitist. It's unbelievable. I mean, I grew up in those neighborhoods, okay, where there was violence and mugging and broken windows and crappy neighborhoods of Los Angeles. That's that's my upbringing. I went to integrated schools. I, I actually lived in those environments, right? But these people who have never experienced anything like it, have no concept, somehow feel the need to do all this virtue signaling. They're so self-righteous and hypocritical. It's it's absolutely pathetic. You're right. And when you were growing up, there might have still been a smattering of the values of the Beach Boys and surfer culture and car culture from the 60s. But that's all been washed away now as being very politically incorrect. So uh, no more Gidget. (laughs) No, no. With a little bit of luck, California or at least the um, coastal counties in California and Oregon and Washington will separate from the U.S. But secession has been tried before in the U.S. and it wound up badly with the so-called civil war, which I've got to point out that the unpleasantness of 1861 to 1865, which we might see a redux of, was not a civil war, it was a war of secession. Uh, It shouldn't be called a civil war because the civil war is a war where two or more groups in a nation state attempt to take over the government. Civil war is more like a coup then. Well, no, a civil war is where two or more groups decide to fight for control of the central power, Washington, D.C. What we had in the last in, in the 19th century was a war of secession where the South simply wanted to part company from the North. Mm -hmm. There was no need for any violence. And it wasn't about slavery, incidentally. That's another thing, which is a a factoid. 
a factoid incidentally is not a little fact, it's a false fact, like an android is a false human or an asteroid is a false star. Mm -hmm. One of many words that have been misused. Right, right. That's that's great. I like the definition. So, But tell us more about the distinction, civil war, coup, and secession movement. Okay. Well, if you have a secession movement, if two groups disagree with each other seriously, political aspects, economic aspects, uh, cultural aspects, it's best that they part company. Because when you have one government that's making all kinds of laws and regulations and taxes, uh, one group or the other gets control of it and punishes the weaker group. So they actually shouldn't be in one country. And that's where we are right now. That's where we were in 1861. And it could have just been a simple secession where the South parted and went its own ways, was different in all those ways. We can talk about that. And and really, you know, when one group gets in control of the Treasury and the House Ways and Means Committee and decides it can tax and spend the other group's money, isn't that called taxation without representation? (laughs) Yes, it is. And of course, this whole idea of democracy is very problematical. Look, to start with, the idea of democracy uh, is uh, it boils down to two wolves and a sheep deciding to vote on what to have for dinner. Right. Then people say, well, as Churchill said, democracy is the worst system of government except for all the others. That's incorrect, actually. And we can talk about that, but because Churchill said it and it was a bone no, people believe it. But Churchill said something else, which is more appropriate, and that is, The best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. And there he was being candid and correct. So, no, I actually don't believe in democracy. It's not the best way to organize people politically. So is representative republic the best then? No, I I don't think so. Actually, this may shock some of our listeners because they have a a bad impression uh, of it, uh, a misimpression is uh, I've been an anarchist for most of my life. And anarchism yeah, so is a why, bad why don't thing. you explain anarcho-capitalism then? Because that, to, to a lot of people, including myself, seems pretty radical. Oh, uh, but tell, tell us more about it. It's scary. When you turn on the media, they'll say BLM and Antifa and, and anarchists are running around the streets destroying something. The fact of the matter is, though, anarchism as a political philosophy has absolutely zero to do with little round bombs and people in black capes throwing them. Anarchism recognizes that government is congealed force. As Mao Tse-Sung said, the power of the state comes out of the barrel of a gun. Mm -hmm. So we believe that um, in a civil society, a peaceful society, coercion, force should be limited. And in anarchism, we believe that the state should be limited to the smallest amount possible. Now, what does that mean? Okay, taking this kind of on a gradient, since the state is pure force, it just taxes and regulates and coerces in all kinds of ways. There's no volunteerism about it. The state should perhaps have an army to protect you from foreign predators, have a police force to protect you from domestic predators and have a court system so you can adjudicate disputes without resorting to violence. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty Ayn Ayn Randian, right? Yes, exactly. And if the state did nothing but that, that would be fine. I could live with that. But the fact is, is that those three functions of government are way too important to be left to the kind of people that inevitably go into government. The kind of people that go into government are people that like to control other people. I mean, naturally. It's like the kind of people that go into the mafia are criminals, the kind of people that live in Las Vegas are gamblers, the kind of people that live in New York are upward mobile. There's all kinds of things. Well, the kind of people that go into government aren't the best and the brightest, they're the poorest and the worst. So anarchists ideally want to do without government at all, which is possible. It's a whole different conversation we can have. But in the meantime, Let's government, not, let's not just pare government down, let's chop it away with the meat axe, because about 90% of what the government does today in the United States either shouldn't be done at all or can be done much better by profit-seeking entrepreneurs. So I want to get into the election stuff and, you know, and not totally stick too much on this philosophical stuff, but it is interesting because I love talking about this macro philosophical, the ideology of what government should be and so forth. But I do want to ask you one thing about that. And I generally agree with you, although it doesn't always go right. And one area where I think it has gone sadly wrong, letting the sort of the free market, and it's not free, it's all crony capitalism. So that would be a misnomer. So I apologize. Apologize in advance, but privatized prisons, bad deal. I don't think there should be a profit motive for uh, incarcerating people. That has not worked out well. Thoughts on just that one? Okay. Uh, To start with, the criminal justice system uh, doesn't change just because the management of the prisons are for profit. The reason it does when the judges get bribed, though. (laughs) Well, of course which is another argument to depoliticize the court system and make it an adjudication system where adjudication courts would compete with each other on the intelligence, the speed, the fairness, and the low cost of their decisions. Very, very different from the uh, court system today where it's impossible to get in. And once you get in, you can't get out and you're bankrupted if you are. Okay, prisons. Purpose of a prison in a free market society would be to, number one, well, several things are equal, but one of the most important things would be to ensure that the miscreant uh, makes reparations to the person that he damaged. So if there's any profit to be made from keeping these people in prison, it should go to the person who was harmed. Yeah, it's called restitution. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. There's no restitution to speak of in today's system. Yeah. In, a, uh, in a free market system, if somebody had to be incarcerated, which is another question, because I'm not interested in punishing somebody. I'm interested in making the victim whole. That's number one. And there are a lot of people that are in prison that could be productive if they realize that their sentence was not a matter of how many years but a matter of how many dollars mm-hmm. they had to somehow create or earn right. to pay the debt back. So the whole basis of private prisons are horrible and they have a, an unjustly deserved bad reputation because 
of what they have to do. They have to incarcerate people for a certain number of years and try to make as much money as they can. It's, hey, listen, yeah, you know, we're both real estate investors, Doug, and I would love it if I could force people to rent my properties and have zero vacancy <laughs> and have, have triple occupancy, you know, over it's called overcrowding, right? You know, as a capitalist, that would be that sounds great. But, you know, the system just gets maligned and perverted. So I agree with you. You know, it's it should be about restitution rather than, you know, time for sure. This will be continued on the next episode. Thank you for listening and happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.